Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Boothcast. Before I throw you over to my interview with world champion Sean Rice, I just want to give you a bit of a, an idea of what I use from the Vicobi range uh, when it gets that little bit colder. So the V-Cold Flex is probably my favourite long sleeve top. Um, I've been using that uh, for the past many winters. Um, when it gets down to six degrees down here in Perth, uh, it's quite nice to have that really nice warm layer over the chest and over the arms. And I never feel too hot. I never feel too cool. It's just that perfect temperature for me to paddle in. If it's a little bit warm around that 12 degrees range, I usually use the, the long sleeve base layer. Base layer. Um, that's a really good one for that sort of 12 degrees. And then if you go a little bit warmer, it's nice to have like a the UV top with the, the vest. Um, that's usually around 15, 16 degrees. I'll be wearing shorts as well. So yeah, there's plenty of different options you can use from the Vicobi range. So check out vicobi.com and check out their full range. I'm gonna throw you over now to my interview with Sean Rice. Hello and welcome to Boothcast. On Boothcast, I speak to people who've inspired me about sport, business and the winning mindset. Today's Boothcast is brought to you by Booth Training. It's your one-stop shop for all your paddling solutions online. If you'd like to check out more, please check out www.booth.fit. Today I, on Boothcast, I am lucky to have Sean Rice. Sean Rice is a South African-born individual living in London in the UK. He is uh, a, a two-time world champion surf ski paddler. He's won the Molokai to Oahu Championships, and he's basically won every single event you can win in ocean ski paddling. He's been a stalwart over the past 11 years, and he's one of my good friends and strong competitors, Sean Rice. Thank you for coming on. Hey, Boothy, thanks for having me. No worries. Now, we wanted to talk to you about a little bit about your background. So can you let us know um, where you're from, where you grew up and how you got involved in sport? Yeah, so um, born and bred in Cape Town, um, sort of found paddling quite early. Um, I started paddling in some junior ranks at the age of around, uh, around 12 years old. Um, I'm actually now uh, the ripe age of 30, so I've been paddling for a fair while. Yeah, I'm, I'm nearly 32, so I feel your pain. Um, but so you, you got involved at a young age, at 12, but I know that you gradually sort of moved in and out of kayaking. Um, you played a bit of rugby at school, and then you gradually sort of took a, took a life change around 18. But can you walk us through that period between 12 and 18 where you were sort of finding yourself and, and working out what you wanted to do in life? Yeah, so, you know, I was introduced to paddling at the age of 12, but at that point I was um, quite heavily involved in schoolboy rugby. Um, I was big, I was a big lad and um, for that reason I was in, in the scrum and, um, you know, I, I really enjoyed rugby, but I ended up picking up a, a few injuries, um, one of them being a, a relatively serious neck injury um, and at that young age that's not really, it's not good and, um yeah, I sort of, I, I was, I knew how to paddle. I was always involved with the ocean, always involved in water sports. And um, once I'd made like a decision to move away from, from rugby, I started, I started paddling a lot, a lot more. Um, I paddled through some, you know, with the junior squads and that, but I was, was never any good. I was, was far from that. So it was, it was really a passion, a passion sport. I enjoyed it for, for what it was. Um, yeah, I, I sort of paddled like that until about the age of 14, 15. And then I, for whatever reason, I don't know. And, and I've seen it so many times happen in the, since then that I sort of moved a, away from paddling. Um, I kind of had to concentrate a lot more on school. I was never very good at school. So refocused my attention to that and, and just try to get, get through, through, through school. And, um, 
yeah, I lived and I lived very close to a kayak club. I, I sort of had to drive past it or cycle past it every day. So I was still like in my conscious, but I, I just uh, I just sort of moved away. I, I really don't know why. Yeah, and did were you um did your parents were your parents involved in paddling or was it something that they got you involved with by going down to like the surf club or something like that to get you more in the ocean and, and being able to to feel comfortable out there or was it always just where you just you just started kayaking or were you in the surf club before yeah. that? Um my, my dad actually used to paddle when he was was a bit younger, but also just just for fun and he used to, you know, um, you've had it in a few of your interviews before, but but the river kayaking scene is massive and has been massive in the past with, with South Africa. So he did a bit of that, but um, he's more into the fishing and, and boating kind of side of things. Um, the, the paddling for me was, I was inquisitive as a young, as a young man. So I, I would, you know, cycle along the side of the estuary and I'd see people paddling and, and sailing. And, and I was quite confident enough to sort of walk up and say, Hey, can I give that a crack? Um, so that was my introduction. It was all, it was me driving it. Um, my parents, um, you know, they were working full time. So I, I had a lot of uh, spare time after, after school while they were sort of still at work where I could just run amok and I ended up finding myself in a kayak, which is probably not the worst place. <laughs> no, you seem like a very sensible child running amok. But is this, <laughs> is this estuary um, where I went paddling with you that time? I think you yeah, probably uh, sun, We did like a, a, the like a the mighty sun, Yeah, the mighty sunflay. It's, the, yeah. uh, like, it's also called the swamp. But yeah. uh, that 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 piece of water, which is not very big, it's maybe the longest stretch is about one point two kilometers, and um, has been the breeding ground for many a many a champion. So I had this on my doorstep, which was something I'm so grateful for. I kind of uh, I couldn't not get involved. And, um, was... and at that point, uh, Peter Cole, you just mentioned Peter Cole and and Alexa Cole, they were sort of uh, they were running um, junior programs it was like a very low key and I say junior programs it's not that formal actually it's uh it was just a bunch of kayaks that the club used to own and they used to someone used to supervise them all at once while you know 16 or 20 12 year olds used to take them out kind of thing and were you um heavily involved with Kenny at the same time was Kenny and you sort of have like a brotherly rivalry as you were growing up or was it Kenny Rice it separate <laughs> Kenny yeah. Rice, so um, so he so there's there's a six year difference in age between my brother and I, and he's six years younger. So we're talking age twelve to fourteen, and he was you know six to eight, to eight eight years old. There's a big difference. We were like we just clashed like there was fire and water, you know, such a big age difference. So so at that point, I was actually even though I had uh, you know brother and that we were quite independent from each other. Um, we get along a lot better now <laughs> we're older yeah. but in the beginning you know he was just too young and I was too old for just about everything yeah I didn't realize there was such a big age gap I didn't realize um Kenny was six years younger than you but now it makes a bit more sense of the, from the stories that you've told me um but obviously getting involved in paddling was a big change in your life I know that you became a big boy um till you were 123 <laughs> kilos in, in the show notes which is which is big for me I, I I remember hitting the scales at 80 and I thought I was a big boy um but yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 40 on me there, but, um, did paddling sort of change your life or, or what made you want to make that lifestyle change and then become a champion? Because you probably, were you a champion when you were a kid as well? Um, no, I was not a, not a champion when I was a kid. So, 
Um, in brief, I sort of paddled to about the age of 15, left the sport for school, but, but I, I was getting gradually heavier and heavier, um, which in South Africa, if you know it as a nation, we're a bunch of, you know, they're typically like big, so, you know, South Africans, whatever, like if you've seen, if you're big, you're strong, you're everything. And I was getting bigger and bigger. No one was slowing me down, you know? Um, and I got to about the age of 16, 17, and I, I found myself at 123 kilograms. Like my waist was 44 inches you know like i was big but i wasn't like fat you know i wasn't i was still doing sports and stuff i was still diving and surfing i was just i was just overweight and and i remember at the age of about you know and at this point i'm not paddling actively i'm paddling for fun and, and that um i remember like stepping on the scale and seeing 123 kilograms going man there's a problem here um what can i do to to change that and i was also psychologically sort of developing and maturing a lot more so I decided I was going to get fit and I was, you know, I read a couple of these inspirational books and, you know, the secret and all that kind of stuff. And I really got motivated by it. Um, anyway, I found myself going back to the, the, the kayak club to try and, to try and rectify this issue. And I, I met up with, uh, you know, the coaches again and a few friends I'd made in the past. And um, you know, this was also the final year of school. So it's quite a, um, it's a bit of a treacherous time for a young person, you know, so uh, trying to trying to build confidence and that was was hugely important to me. So, yeah, I went back to paddling. It's, it's sort of uh, it was a bit of a yeah, it was a major pivot from sort of final year of school and onwards, a major pivot in my life where I managed to sort of get fit again. But I was never I was never an achiever um, in any way, especially at school. Yeah. And then you finish school and you sort of go down this entrepreneurial path where you're, you're having your own businesses. You've obviously eventually created Paddle Life, which we'll get into a bit later on. But um, what was the change when you left school? Because you probably didn't enjoy school as much as you probably would have liked to. But when you finished school, you learned that you sort of like love to learn. And then you like had all these entrepreneurial things and then you became an elite paddler. Um, what was the switch? Yeah. Um, so... Like I just got involved in an incredible community. So, so I sort of lost um, during my matric year. So my final year of school, I set this goal that I was going to do the Cape Point Challenge, which if you're not familiar with that, it's one of the sort of really big races in South Africa. It's a surf ski race. Um, you paddle around the southwesternmost point of Africa. It's 50 something kilometers and it's, it's hugely prestigious in Cape Town. So I'd set myself this goal um, and I ended up doing that um, in that sort of final year of school. I got involved with the with the crowd there. Um, at the same time, I was really battling sort of with confidence because learning wise, I didn't think I was proficient. So I made a plan in my head that I didn't need to go to university. I was going to be self-employed. I'd started a bunch of businesses, small businesses, and I was sort of left school like with momentum, like now's my time to shine. Um, so I had these this conflicting sort of world at that time too because I, I had all this like focus on paddling and my business but then also I was like a young man you know so started uh, started partying and stuff and I had I had a I had a, actually a really good balance I was in the mornings I was you know this is now I have I've got time so I'm after school um I'm training with a bunch of with a bunch of people who are you know ranging from world champions to just people are there for fun um, and sort of really driving me to perform in, in the boat. And then at the same time, I'm, I'm trying to be a young person and have fun and go out and everything. And um, there was never a moment where I sort of suddenly thought I could, I could make anything of this, but that, that year for me was, 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 was just learning and, and absorbing and meeting new people and seeing how, how, 
how sort of the free world or the open world works. Yeah, well, unfortunately, I do know all about the Cape Point Challenge because I did come over that year and stayed in the Barnacle with you guys. And uh, we paddled on the inside, out and back. And that was quite a beautiful yeah. experience of myself. But I'm glad I did it in the end. I think Kenny paddled past me right at the end. Um, <laughs> that's, and that was one of my things. I was like, Kenny can't beat me. And he, he got me across towards the end. I think you probably, I don't know if you won or you got second. It was, I think it was between you yeah, and Yeah, I Hank, think I, I, yeah. So the first one I did, I, I, I just broke the top 20, which was for me like a massive achievement. Um, and then that next year, so 2008, I think I, I made, a, made a top 10. So the, the race is in December of each year. So this is like the back end of each of those years. And yeah. what also happened in the, the back end of 2008, I, I ended up uh, fortunately meeting, uh, meeting Emily, um, my now wife. And yeah. uh, she was the polar is the polar opposite to me in many ways but um here i i meet this girl who sort of blows my socks off she's a she's an ex-head girl of a school like you know massively academic lots of fun and i meet her at the end of 2018 and and we get along um just so well but i sort of find her intriguing because she's just so different to me and and through meeting her she starts sort of I don't know if it was exposing or introducing me to, to other ways of thinking, um, you know, in terms of like university and what are my options and like, why don't I just try and do more and more like, you know, you're on such a role, let's do this. So, so leading into 2009, um, I sort of had taken the decision that I, I actually wanted to get a uni university degree. I wanted to, I wanted to do a little bit more. Um, and then April, so that took me for, for First, but at 2009. But but anyway, April Fool's Day in 2009. Um, I remember this uh, day because I get this call from my dad, he, and at that time we had like a family computer with emails coming through, you know. So yeah. he gives me a call and he says, "Sean, listen, this this guy, he's emailed you. Um, he he's from Canada. He's designed a surf ski and he wants you to paddle it. And he's saying that he wants you to do a race or something." So I was like, what on earth is this? So I ended up um, sort of emailing back. And what had happened was uh, this chap, Daryl Remler, the owner and, and current, still current owner of, of Think Kayaks, is, um, he emailed me because he'd got my details from, I think it was David Marker and Nikki Marker that sort of put him in contact because he was looking for like a young person who was you know, not the best, but someone who was just keen to, to give him some pointers on his new boat that he had designed. And he proposed like out of the nowhere, he just said, hey, uh, it would be really great if you could come over to Spain and um, try my boat out. Um, I'm really, uh, you know, I'm, I'm really intrigued by the surf ski thing. And he came from a wild water background and he wanted to some design tips. I mean, I'm sitting at home going like, what's, like, what's happening here? Like at that point, I didn't even have a passport, you know. Um, I was probably one of the first people in my family to even go overseas. Yeah. Um, so that April Fool's Day was a was a massive day, start of a massive <laughs> career um, for me. So so that was April. The next month, so four weeks later, I'm on an airplane to to Spain, training so, my ass off in between. So so you meet Emily in 2008, and then was it 2009 when you first got the email from Daryl when you went to Spain? Yeah, yeah, that's yeah. right. And then, so, um, but what? But what happened here? Like, I don't like. It's hard for me to comprehend that you went from like just an an average paddler, big boy, just like cruising around and <laughs> not really knowing what he wants to do. And, and so you've started really late. Like, not not yeah. a lot of good paddlers start at like basically twenty, and then all of a sudden this massive journey starts where you start taking all these victories and you start winning. And 
like like what sort of training were you doing at this point to sort of be able to create this pattern like did, who was who were you working with coaching wise and or were you working with yourself yeah. like what what decisions were you making at that time to go right i think i can be good at this because you probably didn't, didn't think you were going to be good at it when you're at school no no definitely not um I guess it's, it comes down to, there's like this, this African proverb that takes a village to raise a child. But yeah. what happened was in, in um, I got involved in this paddling community that I'd spoken about. And um, what that really comprised of was was this this training squad. It's called the Orca Squad. Yeah. Um, and and a, the pivotal person there is Peter Cole. He was the coach. Um, I got involved in, and it wasn't like a... It was it was informal, but but at the same time we had like some of the best paddlers in the world in there. But they sort of took me under their wing, and I guess I don't know if they saw potential ever, but they saw commitment, which was the most important thing um, to 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 anyone there. And I was down there every morning, and they they pushed me like every day. They absolutely pushed me, and I say they like I'm talking about the the whole squad. Um, I learned a lot about myself in that period because I suddenly learned how I had this competitive switch. You know, and it wasn't like a, hey, here's a, you know, here, you're talking paddling terms, they're like, here's a, a wash or a wave, like, come on, hold on tight. It was like, yeah. no, there was a pecking order. You're shit, you're at the bottom. At the same time, I'm looking up the chain, I'm seeing these like champions who are like amazing people. They're still human, but I'm like very quickly getting exposed to the, to the reality that there's a lot of like hard work involved in, in, in achieving things. And I, I found that really exciting. I, I took that as like a challenge. Um, that, that's, it was a very different um, sort of thing. I'd come out of school where I was very feeling like defeatist and all of a sudden I found this independence and, and this drive. And it was, it was me just purely absorbing it from other people. And who were those people in that squad that you were aspiring to be like? Like, who were the champions at the time that you were like, man, I just wish I could beat these guys. I wish I could be paddling like these, these really fast individuals. Um, oh, there, were, there were a lot. And a lot of them are like local heroes, you know. Um, but, but many many are international too. Um, who, a good friend of mine, Sean Rubenstein, um, was, was part of that squad. Um, I can't remember how far back, but there were the Graham Solomons. And, you know, these chaps were... Paul Marais and and uh, you know every, they, they, they're not on the international scale but in the local in the local scene they were like they were the best and and I was training with them and um, you know they they really looked after me if there was ever a time like we have a, a huge racing scene in, in South Africa and, and back then it was even stronger but if I ever needed a lift somewhere or whatever they were the people to like put me in the car and take me to the races and you know, they're always concerned about how I was doing. If I had a shit race, they were like, you know, why? Um, <laughs> I remember yeah. that it was a school of, it was a bit of a school of hard knocks too. Like, um, you know, it, you had to be completely committed. Um, otherwise you kind of got not kicked out, but you were spat out the, the back end. Yeah. Um, I remember the one day something that really pissed me off, but actually ended up motivating me massively was I, we had gone to do like a river race and, part of this training squad with quite a few, like I was at that age quite young, you know, but they were probably like mid 20 year olds and that. And um, I came to my boat before the start of the race and they had like, someone had like taken with a rock and like scraped like big DW in the, on the deck of my boat. I mean, these weren't precious boats, they were river racing boats. Um, but I was like, DW? And I did the race and I finished the race and I went up to the guys afterwards and I was like, hey, who like, who scraped DW and why is DW? And they were all laughing, laughing. And they were like, no, that's your nickname. It's dead weight. <laughs> 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 I 
and I, you know, I took, and, and it was done in like, it sounds awfully mean, but it was done in a spirit of like, um, you know, they just got me revved up and I was like, man, this, I just want to kick their asses, you know? Um, yeah. That was, that was the start of it. And did you start mainly doing your paddling in, obviously in South Africa, but what were your first couple of races? Like I know you spoke about Cape Point was one of your ones, but were you racing in the river races as well and then doing some ocean ski races in South Africa or was it all of a sudden yeah. so he just popped up and you went, I'm going to go over to Spain. So I learned my paddling in the marathon and sprint kayak scene. Um, and I did a lot of like, you know, domestic races around that, a lot of river races. Um, and then sort of slowly got introduced to to surf ski it's a seasonal thing so it's in the summer um the gear was quite expensive and that so i was very lucky to have people sort of lend me some gear um I, in south africa it's actually so much paddling it's it's hard to actually be one type of paddler you've got you've got a marathon season singles doubles you've got a surf ski season singles doubles sprint seasons and i was doing it all so there was it's only sort of later in my career did I really start focusing on, on surf ski more, but I still have this like passion and sort of love for, for flat water kayaking. That's where it all really started for me. And wait, did you make any like junior South African teams for the sprint kayaking or was it just, you just competed at a national level or how was that experience? Yeah. No, I, I definitely made, did not make any national teams. Um, I wasn't, I wasn't very good at all. I was too heavy. Um, my success came, came later on, sort of 19 years and, and older, um, where I started making some, some marathon teams and surfski teams, but I was never on the, on the touring things. I was always training with these people. I was always seeing them train and I, it didn't ever, like, it didn't make sense to me. I was like, I'm training as hard as these people. I'm not making it what's going on. And that sort of drove me a little bit more. Um, eventually I did actually succeed and that taught me a good lesson that it doesn't come easy. Yeah, absolutely. I don't think anything comes easy and you've got to work hard towards it, but I don't think, I don't know if anyone's worked harder than you after hearing a bit of your story, but, um, so you get that big break in 2009 with Daryl, you go to Spain. Can you, can you give us a little bit of backstory into to what happens over there? And I, I think it's, I guess it's the Euro challenge you go to. Yeah, so it's the Euro challenge. So, I mean, so kind, but he invites myself and another friend of mine at that time, Tom Skilpruti, who's also paddling really well. Uh, he's actually living in Perth now, isn't he? Um, yeah. But he, he, we go over there, chaperoned by, by David Marker. And, and um, you know, this is like the biggest opportunity in my life. I've trained my ass off. I've only known that I'm going for like four weeks, but I've trained so hard and I'm so excited to go abroad. And it's such a big adventure. Um, end up doing that race and and i remember being like so nervous because i thought this was the last time this was ever going to happen you know so i put like everything into it i i ended up coming uh, third at that race which was just like mind-blowing um, but that was my first sort of exposure to, to to international racing and and to pull up a third i was just like i didn't believe it myself um it was it was incredible um, you know, I'd, I'd always paddled with these, these top paddlers, um, at home and that, but, but all of a sudden I was on a stage where I didn't know anyone. And, um, you know, I could sort of, I could take what I was, I was learning back home and, and, and put it into, into races that were of, of massive scale and, and sort of find my feet. Yeah. I, I think, um, I must've met you over there maybe two years later, but did you go back over there and win in 2010? Was that, would that be right? Yeah, yeah. So, so with two thousand nine, so, so after that um, Euro Challenge, Daryl said, "Hey, wow, that's that's awesome. Thanks for all the help." But you know, we spoke a lot about the boats at that time. Was you know, he said, "Would you be keen to come over to the US Surf Ski Champs?" And I was like, 
yes, <laughs> America, like what the hell? Like this is incredible. This guy is amazing. Um, so I ended up doing in that first year of racing, um, I ended up doing, uh, it was the Euro Challenge, the US Surfski Champs. I, I can't remember how I did it that US Surfski Champs, but I, I, I must have done okay. I think I came like fifth or something. Um, and then, and then he said, Hey, do you want to, uh, do you want to come over to Hong Kong? You know, and all these opportunities were, were opening up. Um, I did eventually go back to Euro Challenge the next year, but, but that first year for me was such an eye opener, um, that it sort of really made me realize that I was good enough to, to, to do this a lot more seriously. Yeah. And you have that first year in 2009, you come back home, you're obviously probably racing the, the, the South African races at the end of the year. Like I think they had the Cape Point challenge and they had the Cape Point downwind race as well. Um, did you, yeah. did you compete in then and did you gradually start to step it up or were you stepping up your training or were, after that, all those opportunities were presented to you, were you just like, yeah, this is what I want to do? Yeah. So I'd, um, <laughs> it's actually a funny reason, but what, what motivates it, but, but 2009, I'd been uh, dating Emily for, for like a year, right? This uh, girlfriend and she's amazing or whatever, but, but I had known since day one, she's like, look, when I, cause she's a year younger than me. So she said, when I finish school, I'm going on a gap year. I'm going traveling. I'm going to go see the world. So, so, so 2010 comes around and this is her gap year time. And I'm thinking shit, like I, I'm not going to be able to see Emily ever. So uh, what I did was I, I guess I, in the back of my mind, I, I tried to make another plan. I thought, well, if I can carry on doing this paddling thing and doing well enough, I can get myself the opportunity to get overseas, get to Europe and actually get to see Emily like during her gap year, you know? So um, I ended like 2010 um, with this motivation to, to, to do as much racing as I could just because, I mean, there was a lot more to it too. Like I, I just had suddenly got this like travel bug and I just wanted to explore. And my ticket to explore and to, to experience different things was, was paddling. I, I needed to paddle my, myself overseas. Um, at that point, I was also learning that I could, you know, make a little bit of prize money and, you know, that income was, 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 was vital to me. So there were a number of motivating factors other than, you know, me just being completely passionate and, and building slowly, building this confidence about myself and, and what I could do. So heading into 2010, it was, it was all the races I've just mentioned, but then Sersky at the time was also booming in a way that there was the Dubai Shamals. There was a new race being announced every like <clears throat> two months. So it was amazing. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. So um, I sort of like, at this point, like hopped on the bus and, and that bus was going crazy. And the likes of Darwin Marker and Tim Jacobs and Hanks, they were like really paving the road ahead for, for me because they were taking the sport to a more professional level. And, you know, I've seen it happening in SUP with yourself, you know, like you're, you've, you've in your own way, like paving the road for this, this new sport and making it professional. And I was, you know, just a few years behind, like looking ahead going, wow, they, they can do that. I can do that. Mm. Yeah, well, and that was a similar experience for me. I know um, when I sort of saw the sport, I think in 2010 or 2011, and I saw guys like yourself racing overseas and we had the opportunity. I went to the last ever Dubai Shamal that you mentioned just then. And it was just this whole exciting new world. And it was the ticket to travel. I was like, if I can get good at this, I can, I can travel and like try and make enough prize money to pay for my next trip. And then I can start <laughs> seeing the world in different ways. And that was just how I looked at it. Like, and it, it yeah. was similar, I guess, to what you did, but then you took it to the next level and you started really yeah. to take, the, take hold of it and started to win because you wanted the girl. You wanted to see the girl. So that's why you were <laughs> racing so hard. I mean, it was, it was really like, I'm talking like 2010, I was, I was on my computer. I remember doing this. I'd go like, 
I'd go to Google and I'd go like kayak prize money, like search. And then I'd be like, Sersky, like kayak money. Like and those are like my goals. Like, and I would like find these races all around Europe and the world, like so random that they were like offering, you know, like, you know, maybe it was a thousand euros or something to win this event. And I, for me then, that was, you know, and I mean, it's still a lot, it's, it's still money, but it was like a lot of money. It was enough to get me over there and that kind of thing. And I, I remember yeah. doing all these crazy races. I was racing in Norway and um, actually a really cool race at that time was the New York Mayor's Cup. Yeah. Which was a race that ran for two years. Um, I won it, um, well, actually it ran for about three or four years, but I won it twice. Um, it was this race around Manhattan and yeah, it was, it was just, uh, it was, it was fantastic. But also in that same year, I, I started university, um, which was, which was hugely important to me. Um, again, through, through paddling, but this chap, Barry Lewin, um, he was also paving the way as a professional athlete. And he had this partnership and sponsorship with varsity college, which was a university, um, in South Africa. And, and he actually sort of pulled me by the ear and said, Sean, you need to get involved here. Um, they're, they're willing to, to help you out as a, as a paddler, but, but you need to get involved like now, because, you know, I, I had this like mindset that I wanted to go like explore and everything. And Barry was like, no, you need to start the university now. I know what it's like to be a paddler and, and, and you just need to do this. So I'd also started a university. So it was a big sort of juggle of, of all these things. Yeah. It's, um, and you actually had a really good story to tell from the mayor's cup. I remember when you went for a warm up paddle and you nearly got shot by the <laughs> Navy or something like that. Can you just tell, can you tell us that story? Yeah. Well, I mean, I was, you know, I, I, I was like a little Cape town boy. I didn't know anything. So I ran into a lot of mistakes. I've been, I haven't been like officially arrested, but I've run into trouble with the law of broad quite a few times. Um, but the one was in New York. Uh, what had happened was I got down to collect my boat from the kayak club in the Hudson river. And it was quite late in the, in the afternoon, early evening. And I, you know, this is low in Manhattan. And if you've ever been there, it's a crazy place mm. um, on the water and off the water. But I, I took my boat and I said to the chap, who was sort of like this teenager sitting behind the, it's like a shop, you know, behind us. I said, oh, look, I'm just going to go for a paddle. Is there anything I need tonight? And the kid was like, no, no, it's fine. Um, just be careful. I was, all right. So off I paddled and I, I sort of had a choice to go left or right. And I chose to go left as I was leaving the club. And that was towards like the point lower Manhattan. Because um, I, I had this thing, I'll go, you know, check out the Statue of Liberty or something. Anyway, I ended up paddling along and I'm um, paddling for about five or ten minutes. And the next thing I know, there's these three police boats come speeding towards me. Um, and this is sort of, uh, you know, stressful time, post 9-11, all that kind of stuff. And um, they they pull a gun on me, they cock the gun on me and they... they they give me give me hell um but effectively i got too close to to the hudson river tunnel and i was like a terrorist threat um it was really bad um so they i had to sort of yes sir no sir sorry sir like all these kinds of things and um, i ended up being able to talk myself out of it i just said i'm here for the mayor's cup and, and it was the mayor's cup like it was sanctioned by the mayor of new york so yeah I sort of had some, some credibility there but uh it was funny anyway the day before the race we had this like media conference and the head of police was there for, you know, it was quite a high profile race. Head of police was there and he came over to me and he said, is your name Sean Rice? And I was like, yes. And he's like, you don't know how much paperwork you caused me. <laughs> yeah, I know we were racing, we raced in New York a couple of times in the stand-up and I can just imagine the hell that those guys at the ATP had to go through to get that event set up and running. So um, it's a definitely a very, very special place, but it's, uh, 
it can definitely be a bit more difficult for us guys who just like to go out and adventure and um, it just doesn't always happen out the way we want it to. But um, so you went to all these cool events. Um, when was your first win? Um, the first win was, was, good question. I think it was actually that New York Mayor's Cup. Um, so what happened was, was that, that same year we had a massive storm come through. Um, it was huge and they, they, they had a field of like over 100 paddlers that were expected to paddle with that to cut it down and they, they only let like the top 20 elite paddlers paddle. But I ended up winning that race. It was in extreme conditions. They're talking like minus degrees, like huge winds and, and I won that race. And I think it was, I was really strong at that time. I wasn't like fast and fit, but I think I'd lost all this weight and I'd, I was like physically strong. Um, and in these tough conditions, we were like punching into a headwind of, you know, 30 knots for like 20 kilometers up the Hudson River. Um, and I won that race. And uh, that was probably, yeah, that was probably my first, first win. I'd, I'd podiumed a, a couple of times before that, um, but first major win. Yeah. And then you obviously go from that win. Um, we're talking 2010. So you've got 10 more years now. We've, we've yeah, talked about I, so I can go when, that quick. No, when's your, when's your first like major win where you like knocked off a few of the big names and you're like, yeah, I'm here. I've arrived. Was that, was that the mayor's cup or was there a different event that you went? Um, it was probably Cape, the first time I won Cape point challenge, um, domestically, you know, even though a domestic South African race, it, it attracted all the best paddlers in South African at that time. Um, you know, we're talking like Hank McGregor's, Darwin Marcus, Oscar Chalipsky's, all these people. Um, I won that and it was like a really major, major, major win for me. Um, it was, you know, you've spoken about it before, but you start ticking off people on your list. Like, oh, mm. I used to aspire to that person. All of a sudden I, I beat them, you know, it's like tick. And yeah. I started ticking off some, some, some wins. But 2012 was another big year. I think I won, um, you, you know, another US champs and I won euro challenge and suddenly the winds just started coming because i suddenly realized i i could yeah and but what did was there anything that switched when you went from like i'm just like this young fella um going out and experiencing the world and getting to do a few races to like right i've got all these opportunities i'm going to start to win or was there something that switched in your mind you went I, I went from like i don't know not really being competitive at all to like mm. getting opportunities to all of a sudden like i have to win like what what changed there um so so the, so this this racing mentality was was building but like when I, the first time i really felt like a, a desire to win and dominate was was the first world championships that announced the first icf world championships for surfski in like 2013 it was this big deal and um you know it was winner takes all like a world champion like they'd been in in, in formal world championships before that um but for me to, 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 when I actually won that race, that was like the, that was a, an actual switch. Like, wow, this is, I, I am one of the best. Like I can be one of the best. Um, well, you were sport. the best. I was, yeah. yeah it was like, it wasn't a surprise because I knew I was paddling well, but you don't have to just, it takes a lot more than paddling well to win, to win races. You know, this whole psychological thing, the confidence, everything has to merge into, into one performance. Yeah, well, that's, and that's exactly what it is. Like you do all this hard work, this training, this mental focus, everything, but then you've got to actually put it on when it like you paddle that first stroke off the line and then you've got to make sure that whole race is perfect. And when it comes down to that crunch moment, you've got to be able to be clutch and like break the guy next to you or out paddle him or get that, that get that run that little bit further or get to the beach first or whatever it was. But yeah. um, how did that race play out for you? 
Um, so it was in Portugal. Um, the the day of the race, the conditions were were quite mild. It was this like weirdly overcast day, um, a little bit cold. Um, I I had really focused a lot on this on this event, and at this time I was sort of working with my coach, and we were sort of figuring figuring me out. But what he had said on that that day he said, Sean. Sorry, let me start. The, the race was starting at like, you know, 11 or 12 in the day. He like said to me, Sean, you're going to go down to the start of the race at like 7 a.m. You're going to drive there. You're going to take a surf ski off the, the, the roof of the car and you're going to go paddle out from the start and you're going to like picture yourself winning this event. Um, so I'd like, this is like, you know, building on this sort of psychological thing. I'd, I'd gone out there and I'd really like i i just embraced the moment i knew i was strong i knew i was fit um coming to the to the start of the actual race uh, they lined us up in these gates and you know hundreds of people um i they locked our paddles into these gates so so it's a le mans style start where you run to your boat um and i remember then for about two minutes before the actual start of the race they played this this music like it was a heartbeat like doo -doo, doo -doo. and then as we got closer to the, the moment of the race, so they sped this heart rate up and this, it was a loudspeaker, it was crazy. I mean, we were all like shaking. Um, eventually they shouted, go, and off we go. And um, I got a relatively good start, I think. Um, but a key moment in the race came just before we got to the first turn can. So we had to paddle about a kilometer out to sea and then turn with the prevailing current and wind and waves. But, but coming up to that turn can, I was, having, I was on the front bunch and I was having a bit of a jostle with, with Hank. And um, I, I'd managed to take the pool and something I'd been sort of taught in, in my training and, and at, at home was that you, you've got to take control, you've got to dominate, never be dominated, always take control. And I remember this, this point where we came up to the mark and I think there was maybe a bit of money on it too, but um, Hank pushed, he came up hard, like he sprinted to try and sort of take the pool into the turn and I resisted and I managed to hold them off and I was like, shit, that, that was tough. And, and he settled down again and then he came back and then actually this the switch in my head just went into like psycho and i was like i'm gonna kill myself before this guy comes past me and i and i beat him by like half a nose to the to the boy and i remember in my mind going you're done you are not like as in he's done as a pat like i i knew i'd beaten him once and i now knew i could beat him and at that time he was like he still is, you know, he's an incredible paddler. So this confidence I took from that, I was, I entered the, the rest of the race. I sort of went to this dark place. I, I actually don't remember very much from that race. I yeah. don't remember anything except for about a kilometer from the finish. I suddenly became aware and I was, I was winning at that time, but only marginally in front of Tim Jacobs. I became aware of this noise. I was like, what on earth is that? I remember looking up and there was a chopper, a helicopter, you know, just above my head. And, and, I suddenly realized this helicopter had been there just about the whole time. I'd just been in this like zone. Yeah. Um, and I looked over to my right and there was a boat, like a rescue boat and had a big South African flag over the nose. And I just, I still get like goose flesh thinking about it. But at that time I knew I'd won my sort of first world champs. It was, was just incredible. Yeah. And that, I know that event means a lot to you. I know you've gone back in 2015, you, you weren't able to retain it. Corey Hill sort of took the win mm. there. And then in 2017, Corey Hill won again, but then this year you've taken the win back. Um, how important was that win to you and how much of a good feeling was it? Because I know it meant a lot to you. Yeah. I didn't know how much that, that first world champs win um, 
meant to me until I'd actually won it. And it's, it's kind of crazy in that I, I'm actually thankful that I didn't know how much it was going to mean to me. Um, you know, I came back from that win and it's different in, in South Africa, but I came back from that win, you know, I was on the radio, I got given a car, you know, people celebrated what I'd achieved, almost like we, you know, everyone had achieved it. Like, you know, I was the, and I am, I, I always say it, I am the, the sort of product of a system there. Um, and it's not a formal system, it's far from formal, but I'm the, I'm the product of a surf lifesaving club that's incredible and has the infrastructure to support me. I'm the product of this, this kayak club and coaching. So that was really amazing for me. Um, and you're quite right, in 2015, I went back to to sort of defend it and, and I, I didn't. I came fourth, which was a major, like, in my mind, like failure, um, which, was, which was a good learning curve. And then again in 2017 and to win it last year again, it's, it's just... Unbelievable. Made a lot has changed since since between my first win and, and last year. So much has changed, which is also quite special. Yeah, for sure. But I guess we talk a lot about success and failures on this show. Obviously, you had a massive success in 2013. Probably when you, you thought you could win, but you weren't really too sure and you, and you were able to get over that hurdle. But then you go back the next two times and you obviously still wanted to win again. Um, and then you've obviously either you made mistakes or you just weren't the best on the day. How did you use that to fuel yourself to win that 2019 world title? Because that's four years. It's a big, it's like, it's like, I don't know, four years is a long time between drinks and um, being able to, to charge up and win that um, second one must've been a huge, like a building block. And obviously but whether you go for it again or you don't, or how much do you want it? Like, can I train properly for it? Like I know you live in London now, you've been traveling around the world for a long time. Like what sacrifices did you have to put in place to be able to achieve that goal? Yeah, dealing with disappointment is an interesting one, um, and it's what I've had to deal with a lot. Um, you know, it's it's kind of like once you win something, you know you can. So then, when you don't, it's like why? Um, and there's normally, you know, people deal with it in different ways. But but I've sort of, I look at it. You know, ever since winning that world champs, I was kind of like I can. So I just need to do the hard work, and then and then I should, you know. And then all of a sudden, I, I got beaten by that, and I had to really step back. And I said, well, being able to is not enough. You actually really have to want to like you have to really want every single thing about it you want you, you must be prepared to sacrifice and all that kind of thing um and i sort of i had to be honest with myself after that 2015 worlds was like i thought i you know I, I knew i wanted it but i actually hadn't sacrificed enough for it i hadn't i trained hard enough i was physically able but mentally i wasn't i wasn't wasn't there um and I kind of look at all my successes and, and defeats and since then going like, you know, I celebrate my successes. I, I really try to, and my defeats, I, I try, I try to understand like why, because I know I can. Um, and uh, psychologically, you know, coming into races, once you've won, it's, 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 it's an added pressure because you've, you know, you said it before, like, where do you go from that? Where do you go from there? And that kind of thing. And I remember uh, David and Jasper Marker's, Father Godfrey Mark is a crazy, he's an incredible man. He he was a coach to uh, to both those guys and 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 our surf club. And he he said it things quite clearly. And one of the things he used to say was, um, "You go to races to collect the medals because you should have actually done and won those races in the training many many times before." Um, and I always sort of think back think back to that, like when I come to a race. 
have I actually given it everything? Like, have I prepared for it accordingly? And and if I don't win, then then well, that's not my fault uh, for whatever yeah. reason. Um, and if I can get to the race and say I haven't done all the prep and I do win, well, that's great. And if I don't win, well, then I need to improve on that. Yeah, it just comes down to just being able to put your best performance on the line. And if if it means enough to you, you want to be able to do that on the day that it counts. And your preparation and your training are those building blocks to be able to do that. But um, can you walk us through your 2019 uh, World Championships? Like, how was your lead up? How was your preparation? Did you do everything right? And how was the how was the race? Yeah, so so from the first worlds to the second worlds, a lot of change. Um, first worlds, I was I was training with this big group and and had all this the support and everything. Um, this last world champs, um, in between that time, I'd sort of I'd, I'd moved away from South Africa and currently living in in London. I was training completely by myself. The buildup was was far 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 from ideal. I was busy renovating a house. I had full time work. I was traveling. I, I mean, it was just it was a it was a completely different build up. Um, psychologically, I was under a lot of a lot of stress, a lot of pressure. And training wise, I um, I've never actually been very good at training, but I was, you know, I was leading up to the race. I was trying to just train as much as I could, but there were days where I couldn't paddle two or three kilometers because I was just so, so drained. Um, yeah. So, so coming into that race, I, I, I kind of knew I was physically prepared, but I, I, this last world was, was a really big mental game. And I found myself um, having to tap back into, into like this, this dark place in my, in my head with the preparations, um, just trying to find, find some focus um i've always been really good at going into into the zone um, yeah people you know athletes talk about the zone um and i found uh, i had two types of training sessions before the before the worlds i had a training session where i'd get on the water and i was just so knackered from life that i would sort of <laughs> cruise for six kilometers get back to the club and sometimes drifting back to the club with the currents and then the next day i would be able to like get into the zone i would just like tear myself to pieces but I, I, um, I knew I really wanted this World Champs win. Like I wanted it so bad, and and I actually wanted it so bad that the training that I hadn't done, sort of, it, my my desire sort of over uh, was overriding that. Yeah, and when you were like when you were training, like you're talking about obviously balancing everything out. You get to your race, um, and were you just in the zone on race day? Like did everything like just fall into place or did you have different challenges along the way in that race as well yeah so so you know talking up until about a week or two before the race i was, I was still back in london at that time uh, sam jordan a good mate of mine aussie mate of mine was was living just about with me um because he was over for the same same races and i remember getting on the water and, and going like oh sam i just don't feel that good and he was like come on you're fast you're good you're good and then about a week before that race we did it one training session and and something just clicked and um this is going to sound like awfully weird but something clicked in that session where i suddenly felt like i was like a, like an outer body experience but i felt like this like rising up like this like power that was coming back and i looked at sam and i said sam i think i, I like i'm really feeling good this is going to happen he was like yeah 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 and then, and then the next day i i suddenly i was sort of like picturing myself in this race i was going to win it and I was like really motivating myself. I get sort of 
get to the to the destination we're racing in france that year i got there a year a week early and i was staying with my brother and sam and some friends and it was quite low key but i was really sort of um nervous and i found that i I really wanted this but with that comes nerves and and up until sort of the i went for a paddle the night before the race i was really sort of thinking i was going to blow this because i was just getting too nervous but i i got on the water and i just went by myself for a paddle um, out from the finish, um, which is a bit of a ritual. And I, and I just started like picturing, I sort of going back in my head, like, what have I done? You know, how much do I want this, blah, blah, blah. And, and I kind of, I also seen the weather forecast looking favorable to, to the training I'd done. Um, and I just sort of knew, I just, I just knew I, I was going to. So when I got to the race start, it was almost like, the, you know, there were paddlers around me and I, I was obviously racing Corey was defending champ and Hank and all these amazing paddlers, but I was so in my own head that they might as well have not been there. Yeah. Yeah. It's, um, it's pretty cool when you get that sort of like feeling in training. I know I've had the same thing where you get to that point and you're like, yeah, this is this, I'm just, I'm just going to go over there and just get the job done. Like I've done the work. I'm ready to go. Like I've, I've visualized it. I just know I need to get to that finish line first and that's all I need to do. Like everything else will work itself out. And it's sort of almost like a sense of calm that comes upon you. Like, Obviously, you still get nervous. And I know you're a very outwardly nervous guy. Like, I've obviously hung out with you for many times. And I can tell um, when Sean is nervous for races. But when Sean finishes the race and he wins, he's, he's a very good guy to hang out with. And he's a good time. So, it's um, – but everyone, everyone obviously approaches these situations very differently. And I think that comes down to our personality. And it comes down to how much we want it. But um, it must have been really, really cool to take that second victory. And, um, and obviously, you've got so many other wins around the place. Can you talk us about uh, talk to us a little bit about winning the Molokai for the first time? Because I know you've done about five or six crossings. Um, you had a fourth, couple of seconds, uh, maybe mm. a third as well. Um, but I think the year you won it was about 2016 or 17. 17, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Molokai, um, man, that's a hell of a race. Uh, so yeah, I think I've done five, but I, I started off um, with a second. Um, I can't remember what year it was. went there and I, I sort of got introduced to a few hard lessons by the by the channel um and and Molokai if you haven't done it it's 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 just it's just different it requires a long period of training it's like you have to invest so much into it financially too but but you really have to put your back into it and um I ended up getting a second in that first year and I thought man this is this is a hell of a challenge I just want to I want to win this thing it's got a, a you know a huge amount of prestige um, I ended up going back another four, three years in a row and I, I either got seconds or thirds or fourths and I just couldn't crack it and it was really starting to to get get to me. Um, so when I went back in 2017, I I kind of went, I went quite late in the week. Um, I just changed things up. Um, that year, I'd also just moved to London. Um, the training was completely different. I was training on a river and the training I was doing was half in winter and I, I kind of just said to myself early in 2017 I'm gonna go do this Molokai and this is the last time I'm doing it because it's actually just not worth it um, and I you know with that I said I'm gonna I'm just gonna do extra so I was training so hard I remember like doing 50 kilometer paddles on the river with a bungee and a ball you know I was I was really getting myself prepared I got got to the race um, and I, I sort of just said to myself this is the last time so make of it what you want but this is this is the last time you're coming here um, the night before the race, I'm, I'm sitting at the, the dinner table and uh, 
No, it wasn't. It was two nights before the race, and uh, Corey and Hank we were, we were at the at hotel with the team Sean partners um, at hosting a dinner, and they're like, "Oh, well, you know, we're heading over to to Molokai tomorrow because, you know, they've 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 moved the race start." So I was like, "What do you mean they've moved the race start?" So they're like, "No, well, the race starts on on Saturday or whatever it was. Um, this is Thursday, but it's starting at 9 a.m." So I just sort of left things quite late. I, I I normally fly over on the morning, but my plane, the plane I had sort of booked, was only arriving to Molokai Island at like 9 a.m. Yeah. So there was a sudden like panic, like what? And I didn't know. Like I was so insulated in that trip. I was staying by myself and I was just cruising that I didn't get the memo. But everyone had like changed their flights to like fly the day before or the thing, and and um, I had this like massive massive panic so um fortunately the the race organizers said they would hold the race for as long as possible um but what ended up happening was a was a was a, chaotic, a chaotic day so i i flew over on the same flight because i couldn't get another flight earlier um i landed and i was the only paddler on the plane i landed um at that time Stu Stu regan who's the the think kayaks uh, rep, he was so kind he he had a car waiting at the molokai airport got in the car, got changed into my paddling gear while we're speeding to the start of the race, which is about a half an hour drive from the airport. I'm in my paddling gear. My boat is at the start of the race. Stu had got there the day before. He had actually set it up. I literally got out the car, ran to my boat, picked my boat up, put my like, water bottle and ran to the beach, got in the water, paddled straight to the start and, and, and went. I mean, it's the most stressful thing you can imagine. Like I remember coming over and if you've been there, you, you it's like this, this old like abandoned resort that you start at. I remember coming into this resort. I could see everyone standing on the beach in the big like prayer circle that they do before the race. And I'm like, you know, normally I'm there like two, two hours before, four hours before and just hanging out and whatever. And this was totally different. But I got to the start line and I'd revved myself up so much that I was just like, you know, I was like, you know, fuck this. And, you know, you know fuck it. And I was just like, fuck it. I was yeah. like revved. I was so ready to go and I was just so pissed off. Anyway, I started this race and um, it, was, it, was a, it was a pretty good feel. I think Hank and Corey and all the usuals are there, Clint's and all that kind of stuff. Um, but I had this, uh, this boat driver and I'd had him for a couple of years before and he was just, he's just the craziest guy. But, but he had said to me before the start of the race, he's like, you need to, you need to go north, Sean, you need to go north. And and I, I'd sort of said, no, I'm just going on the rum line. But, but we started this race and he came over to me and he was like, Sean, trust me, you've got to go north. So what had happened was uh, Hank and Corey had got so caught up racing themselves or each other that they had sort of gone slightly north. And I just, at that point, I just knew I, I just needed to be in my own space. So I went slightly further north and um, I just, I, I paddled away. I didn't see another paddle paddler. I got to got to China Walls and I, you know, clear ahead. And I think I won that race by about two minutes. But crossing that line was just the biggest relief. There's a, there's a couple of photos of me crossing. I've just got my like eyes closed. I'm like, I never have to come back again. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so uh, relieved that I've been able to win this thing. But but <laughs> what what drives you to do that though? Like it's I always find it very interesting that people go back. You went to that back to that event five times to try and win it. Yeah. And you eventually won it and was just relief that like obviously it was like ecstasy as well because you did win the race that you wanted to win. But as you say, your first thought was just relief. You just like oh god, I don't have to come back here. Like it was just <laughs> the thing I wanted to win so bad. But what 
like why like why did you want to win that so bad like were you trying to prove it to yourself prove it to others or like what was motivating you to just go back until you won that race i i had won the world's you know icf world and i won a number of races across the calendar but i'd never won that one and i just knew to myself that i needed i needed that like i needed that badge um yeah and and I don't really know what's because I question that every moment of this, you know, every stroke you take across the channel. It's like, why do I do this? Um, but I guess it comes down to like, I have to be so grateful that I actually I can. And, you know, like I've been invested in by so many people, um, you know, I invested myself, but actually I've been invested in by so many people, sponsors and, you know, coaches and, and clubs and all that kind of thing. And I kind of like just, I owed it to myself, I owed it, owe it to those people. I, I just knew I needed, I needed to do that. Um, so yeah, I, I don't know. Like I actually, now that I've won the thing, I, I didn't go back the year after because I, I, I chose to do a few other things. But um, you know, I actually feel now like I, I do need to go back. So maybe that's the problem is we forget pain. Yeah, well, it is interesting. Obviously, now when we're all like not racing or not doing anything, it's like well, we all start. To, I especially myself, I start thinking about oh. I haven't done this race. I haven't done this one. And I'm like, why haven't I done those ones? I've done these other ones like six or seven times. Like, why am I going back to do those ones? It's quite, quite an interesting situation yeah. that we're all in. But um, is there any other races that you like obviously set out to win and that you did win? Cause I know you've won like the gorge, you've won Canadian surf ski champs, you won UF surf ski champs. Um, you've won the Maramu race. You've won, um, I don't know, a host of different international races around the place. Is there any ones that you went, like you thought that was a, an incredible victory and you, you really remember it fondly? Um, yeah, I, it's actually outside of um, surf ski, but I, I gave uh, marathon kayaking and, and even sort of K2000 meter a good crack. And I remember uh, sort of that being a really sort of fond memory. So I was racing with, with a good friend of mine, Sean Rubenstein. He is an ex Olympian. He was sort of in the late part of his career and he, he just pulled me aside and said, Sean, we've got, we've got to do this because I wasn't a bad, um, a bad thousand meter paddler. And then he was, he was really good and he was a world champion in marathons. And he said, come on, let's just, let's just do, do marathon worlds and let's just do, um, let's try it. Like, let's try for 2016. Like, you know, what have we got to lose and all that kind of stuff. And I, even though I didn't succeed in these, these, this race, but we, we prepared for and, and qualified for a world marathon champs. Um, we ended up coming fourth, but, but that whole race, like, we we were on the back foot. We were learning. You know, he was dragging along Sean Rice, which is a bit of a heffalump on the portage. Like we, even though we didn't come fourth, I felt like we had we had won. Like that was just an incredible experience for me. Um, it was just like you know, it was almost going back to my roots a little bit. Um, I still have like a deep passion for for marathon racing, um, but that that race was is a real fond memory. And I know you you attempted to qualify the K two one thousand for the mm. twenty sixteen Olympics. Um, mm. How how was that experience as well? Was that was that quite interesting? Yeah, it was interesting because um, you learn very quickly that you have to give it your all. And you've had ex Olympians on this podcast where they've explained that to you. But at that time, I was I was conflicted because I had so much else going on. I had this desire to be this uh, you know go on the path I knew I could. Um, but then I had university, I had um, my Sersky career, I had relationships, I had life. And the, the fact is when, you, when you're on that Olympic road, you don't have a life. Um, 
you know, it's just, you must sacrifice. It is the Olympics is the most selfish thing you could do in a way, but people want, you know, you want to do it, but it's all about you. And I, I couldn't, I couldn't, um, and neither could Sean, he, he just had his first child and stuff. We couldn't actually, if we, we lied to ourselves saying we could, but we couldn't give it all. Um, but we, we had a good crack and we had so much fun, fun doing it. Um, there was just too many other distractions. Yeah, and obviously you had, um, you obviously ocean ski paddling um, was probably taken to the forefront, but you've also, what did you, what did you end up studying at, at university? Um, I studied business and marketing. Uh, so I did a undergrad in, in business and then postgrad in, in marketing, um, which is, which has been awesome. Um, I did it, <laughs> I, I was, it was kind of funny because I was, I was sponsored to, to buy this university um, as an athlete but then there was like the there was the athletes out of my my deal and then there was like the I still had to pass you know university and I remember one year I forget which year it was maybe like 2014 or something but uh, I had like a minimum requirement for how many lessons I used to have to make um, so I remember this one year I it was like first semester or second semester but it was slap bang in the middle of about eight weeks of of racing abroad so uh, I knew I was going to lose my scholarship if I if I if I went to these races, but I had to go to these races. So I devised this this plan that I was going to pass uni, I was going to study and everything. But I basically I, I wrote a formal letter to like the, the chancellor or whatever, the head of the university. I said, look, um, I've been selected, <laughs> which is nonsense. Um, you know, it's a private surski tour, but I've been selected to go overseas and race and. In, uh, in, a, in a couple races, I'm going to be away for three weeks um, of this 11-week semester. Um, I'm asking for permission. I'm going to be able to study abroad. I, I, you know, I, I spoke to my lecturers. I told them all this kind of stuff. Um, it was a bit of a white lie because I actually knew in the back of my head I'd booked flights for like an eight-week trip. But I told them I was going away for three weeks. So, so they were like, you know, yes, special compensation, of course, go do this, go represent our university. We're so proud. And off I went. Anyway, two weeks into the trip, I'm like going, shit, like, what am I going to do? So I email them again. I say, guys, you won't believe it. But due to my recent results, I think I'd done like a Chicago shoreline marathon or something. Yeah, so due, to my recent, due to my recent results, I've qualified for the next round and i have to stay on the tour i mean they yeah. didn't know any better so they're like no way that's incredible <laughs> well done and they, they like put me in the university newsletter and stuff but yeah. anyway so i got another well got technically another it's not wrong <laughs> got another two weeks out of that at the end of it i came back so so i'd been i had 11 week semester i'd gone to like the first week the o week because it's a big party week and it's, it's loads of fun so i'd attended that and then I left on this tour and I came back with two weeks left of university before exams. I remember walking into my like a couple of my lectures and all these people like looking at me like, who the hell is this guy? Um, and obviously university by that point, I got a bit, um, a bit upset with me, but I said, look guys, it's not my fault. Like it's the sport I do. I'm sorry. Um, just let me, let me prove myself. I'll pass exams. And they were like, yeah. if you don't pass these exams, you're out. So then I was like, shit, I've got to pass these exams. And I passed <laughs> them. I actually never failed exams because I had this like motivation that I needed to study. I was like, I was yeah. trying to do everything, but uh, yeah, I studied marketing and business. I was not the best student, but I passed and I, and I still uh, I'm grateful that I sort of had that opportunity. And, and you use that to set up um, paddle life with, 
um, Emily. Um, yeah, how was yeah. that whole whole experience where you've been doing it for a long time now? It's one of my inspirations to start my training <laughs> as well. Um, how 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 successful has that been? And you're obviously still traveling around doing it. I know for like for some points, I was looking at your calendars that you were doing, and you were like in a place every different every like different weekend. You were doing clinics, tours, events. Like it was just incredible yeah. the amount of travel that you guys were doing. Um, how was that whole experience? Like, because obviously you're still doing it, but not as not to the extent you were doing it before. Yeah. So so when I finished uni, um, Emily also finished the same year. As I as I did, and we we at that point we knew we wanted to like travel. We weren't ready to like settle down into like typical jobs, and and um, I'd actually sort of started looking for a job, but I still had this entrepreneurial spirit. And I, at the same time, the sports of surf ski had sort of I'd built a bit of a profile in it, and um, I had these you know sponsors, you know Think and Vicobi, and and I was trying to think like how do I bring value to them that's not just like results and how do I maintain my lifestyle how do I manage to continue racing and Emily for her she was you know she wanted to do something new so we we we, we chatted to Daryl and 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 Pat from Bicobi um, and we said guys look this is our proposal but in addition to me going around racing which you support me for already we want to do more we want to you know I was coaching actually you know, I haven't added yet but I've, I've been coaching for a very long time just on and off I said I really think it's a it's a great opportunity for me to engage with the with the the paddling community and I'm going to run coaching clinics Emily and I are going to start this business and and what do you think and they were like that's brilliant like that's absolutely brilliant um and so yeah paddle life paddle life was born but for for a period of 2 years that was 2015 for a period of 2 years we traveled extensively we we traveled as as much as 22 countries a year 65 cities we for about two years, we didn't spend more than three weeks in one single place. Um, I remember, I remember paddling for 38 days, so 38 straight days where I didn't paddle in the same boat or destination more than twice. So that was just, uh, it was a huge, a huge adventure. Um, yeah. In this time, we were also, we were also like trying to find our position in the world. We knew we wanted to to live abroad. Um, it wasn't as easily done as said. Um, but yeah, it's, it's got to the end of 2016. <clears throat> and I was in, in <clears throat> Emily and I were in Asia. And um, we kind of, two years of that, as, as much as, as fun as it is, it's, it's, it's hugely taxing. And I know, I know you, you've done this all, so you know yourself, but uh, it's, it is a dream and, it's, and it sounds like a dream, but there's, there's normalities in life that you you begin to crave. <clears throat> so yeah. at the end of 2016, we Emily and I had made a sort of decision that we were going to try and try and set a base somewhere else, and then continue with paddle life, but in a more sustainable way, where we could sort of travel out on the weekends or and sort of run the business. Because running a business while being on the move is also incredibly difficult. Um, but yeah, it's it sort of evolved into late 2016 um emily had got she emily was born in the uk um although we met in, in south africa when she was living there uh, she went back to visit some family in, in in london um and she was there well here i'm here now but um she was in london for about two weeks um and in that time i'm in asia i'm in hong kong it's like late it's like november 2016 and i, I get this call from her one day and she's like um <laughs> So, you know, she's 
studied um, human bioscience, incredibly smart and, and um, wanted to start her own career. And she'd started doing some interviews in London, which were discussed like loosely in the past. And she said, look, I've got like two job offers. What do, what do you think? And yeah. the whole plan at that point was a loose plan to actually go back to Cape Town. Um, yeah. It was enough of a plan that we had actually bought a house in Cape Town to move back into. Yeah. And in a matter of a week, I kind of just went from like, what do you think? To like, yeah, why not? <laughs> so Emily stayed in the UK and I ended up coming back here straight from, from Asia. We didn't go back to South Africa. Um, and, and we've kind of been settled here, settling here ever since. Yeah. Yeah. And no, I remember, I remember you saying that uh, years ago, you were like, I kind of feel like I'm a global citizen and I feel like I'm comfortable anywhere. And I think coming from that sort of saying to what you did, but when you were obviously bought a house in Africa and you wanted to move to London, you're like, oh, well, yeah, I can do that. That's, that's no problem. Yeah. So I can live anywhere sort of thing. And um, obviously <clears> you're still continuing with the, with the part of life and Emily's got her career in London now, which is sort of gracefully climbing up the corporate ladder as she does. It's cool to see. <laughs> and um, what, um, so what's, what's next for you? Like, do you think you're going to keep, keep paddling like I, I saw you over here for the Sean partners race week and and that was cool you had like a sort of an up and down um week you, you raced really well at the doctor but probably started off you didn't race as well as you probably would have liked you let you let the little guy beat you in a race I can't <laughs> yeah but you did um but what so what what is um next for you like do you plan to try and race at the end of the year if something happens or um are you going to keep going in paddle life I know you've got a marketing job now like you're sort of in like a bit of a transition phase as well for yourself yeah um so so yeah i've I've started working um sort of a, a real job um but that's in addition to what i'm still and, and continuing to do with with paddle life i i will always paddle i'm 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 still feel like i've got so much to give um in terms of of paddling career i think i'm still you know i'm far from actually being expired um, there's a number of paddlers who proved that point already. You know, I'm 30 years old. If anything, I'm actually starting to reap rewards from work I've done in the past. Yeah. So, so I, I will, yeah, to put simply, I'll definitely continue racing and paddling as much as I can. Um, I'm really at this point in time, I'm trying to challenge myself with, with, with starting a career in, in sports marketing, um, which is going, going really well. I'm learning so much there and that's sort of keeping me mentally stimulated. And I've really found paddling to be less of like a, a means to an end and more of like a, it's like, I need to do it because it, it keeps me sane and it keeps me balanced. Um, and, and what's motivating me to race is that I still can. So why wouldn't I like there's people that can't race because of situations and they have the ability. So would it, why would I ever not race if I, if I can? And I've, you know, I'm fortunate to still have the support of, of sponsors and partners and friends and family who invested in me and they like, come on, just do it. So yeah, you know, I, I don't see why stopping is, is an option. I'm, I'm never going to, you're never going to get a, a post from me saying I'm hanging up my paddles. Paddling yeah. is not that paddling is not that to me. Yeah, no, it is. It is funny. Like, I, I don't think I'll ever stop paddling. I'll be paddling in some sort of way and I'll be constantly trying to prove myself and beat my friends and just have fun doing paddling. And I guess in this type of situation that we're in now, that the COVID-19 situation, I've, I've really found paddling as my sort of like vice where I can just go out and enjoy something. Like I might go for like a, I, I never thought this would be the case, but I like go for like 5k downwinds and I really enjoy it. It's like really weird. I just go paddle, yeah. paddle out really slowly. And then I like, listen to a book, listen to music. I just, I don't try. I just like just catching runs and just surfing. Yeah. And I'm like, 
this is amazing. I was like, I never get to do this. Normally I'm like, start the watch and like paddle as hard as I can and then finish and like, but yeah, it's just been a, such a different experience. And I just realized how much that I enjoy paddling, enjoy sport for my mental and, and like physical well-being. And that's just something that I guess is going to be ingrained in me for the rest of my life. And I guess you've found the same thing as well. But um, how are you dealing with this whole COVID-19? Like a lot of things have obviously turned upside down. You probably had a lot of camps and um, races mm. that you're planning to do this year and uh, among a, a host of other things, I'm sure. But how have you dealt with the situation and, and what are you doing to sort of set yourself up for when we are allowed to go back to whatever normal is that we get next. Yeah, look, um, this whole situation, COVID is a real kick in the sweet spot. Um, it's, it's absolutely changed everything and it's, and it's been a bit of a process. Um, I've been dealing with it. So, you know, you, you first hear of the news and then it becomes a reality. And, and there was a period where, you know, in London, it's a very serious, you know, it's, it's, different levels of severity it seems across the world but in, in the uk it's being taken really seriously fortunately and um you know there was a time where we were we went into lockdown and and it became a reality that i was probably not going to be racing this year and i didn't ever become like despondent but i definitely lost lost like steam and i mm. didn't paddle for about a week and i I was, you know, I'm still working and I'm working from home, both Emily and I are working from home and, and, you know, work wise, I work in live events. So, so that's all canceled and had life workshops. I'm having to cancel everything I'd planned. And it was just like all this like negativity. And I found myself like really not in a dark place at all, but like just lacking motivation. So I, I, the one day there was really nice weather and I, I just picked my boat up and I went for a paddle, like you said, just for fun. Cause I actually needed to get some fresh air. And I went for this paddle and I came back and I was, I walked in the house and I was like, Emily, I must paddle. I need to paddle. Like, why did I leave it? And I mean, it's just a week, right? It's not yeah, really that yeah. much time. I mean, yeah. I take off like, I take off like a month and a half from paddling every year, like in December, just because I want to take a break. And I never felt this way. This, I like lost it for a week and I, I found it again. And, and I've been paddling like that ever since. Like, just every couple of days, just going for a paddle, being socially responsible, isolating myself, whatever. Um, you know, work-wise, like shit. There's there's not much you can do, but like you know, try and adapt. And and I think we're all adapting on our own ways. And I had uh, had a conversation with a friend recently, and he was kind of just saying how in this situation we've become so insulated ourselves. We go like, oh, what am I going to do? What am what are my options? Like everything about me, 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 which is quite yeah. natural, right? But he said like, maybe the solution is actually to divert that stress or that focus on what you're going to do. And you're like, you know, the people around me, how do I help somebody around me? Because that actually in itself is like giving you something to do. It's giving you like purpose, giving you direction. It's, 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 um, you know, if we all do that, we all just try and help someone around us. We end up helping ourselves. Um, you know, the, the fact is we're not going to get through this, this whole process alone. Business isn't going to just return to normal by being ourselves and worrying about ourselves. Um, we, yeah, the races will come back and, and you know what, it, it would have, you know, hopefully it doesn't impact too much on, on the sort of commercial side of these races in terms of sponsorships and partnerships and that. But, but I, I can't, I can't see it being any different to people like rushing back to the sport because we all know we need it. Yeah. Um, no, I, I, their own reason. 
I can't wait to get to the other end of this so I, I can start racing again. Like you see all those like virtual challenges popping up everywhere because everyone does want to race and it realizes <laughs> how important their battling is to them. So I've even, I'm doing one myself, but it's, um, yeah, it's just been a really interesting process. I know you spoke about, um, you came in and spoke to Emily and said, oh, I need to paddle. Like I need to paddle. I was like, Chris, you'd be like, Michael, you need to go to paddle. You'd like being annoying, go paddling. And I'd be like, what do you mean? I'm like, I'm fine. I'm watching suits. I'm having a beer or I'm doing some work or whatever it is. And she's like, no, you need to go paddling. I paddle. I'm like, ah, I feel so much better. I should have gone paddling earlier. And it's just like, yeah, yeah it's, it's such a weird feeling and you don't realize you need it until you stop doing it. So it's been so good. Like fitness as a whole has been largely, you know, this is my, something I believe, but it's been, you know, people at the, have associated being fit to maybe being like image you know it's a lot like a lot of image like people want to get fit for summer because they want to have a rig to go down to the beach where yeah you know everything about like fitness has been quite associated to 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 how you look but but all of a sudden as a as a population of the world i think there's been this shift in like understanding what fitness is and we would have understood this from a long time ago even if subconsciously is that we actually need activity and fitness for mental health and yeah. mental health, um, you know, it, we we all deal with it in different levels, but it's it's this is like such a it's such a tool to deal to deal with that, um, you know, to deal with that pressure. And it, it's I think that's great because it's a far more sustainable way, and it's a far easier way of relating sport to a broader audience. If people ask me about my sporting career, you know, why do you do it? you know it's maybe yeah. you should ask yourself why you don't do it you know why don't you challenge yourself on a daily basis in a fun environment like sport why don't you do it um you know have you ever actually found your your point of failure like have you ever found that point of physical failure mental failure or or actually you're a lot better than what you thought like it's amazing yeah it's it just it's so incredible um what sport means to you especially when like you you think you're doing it for one reason but then you realize you're doing it for something else it just sort of changed my whole perspective on sport and health and well-being it's um yeah, it's been a really cool journey and um is there anything you wanted to add um before we go off air like if you want to have shout outs to sponsors or anything like that um or if, where, where people can find out more about you yeah so um a huge shout out to my sponsors and partners and and everyone who's supported me I, i'm not going to list it because it wouldn't be it wouldn't be fair but there's been so many pivotal people in in my career and then and then just as a, like a as a sport you know there's there's i'm talking with respect to surf ski and kayaking but i guess in stuff it might be the same but you know these sports are actually still in their infancy and they're starting to show um some light towards towards being more professional and as a whole though the sports need momentum and they need to continue and um I, I always challenge my you know when i have a clinic or workshop i challenge the people who are there i say look i've just taught you everything i know i'm going to challenge you now to go and find one paddler one person um and just do the same to them like just expose them to this wonderful sport or, or sports as a whole whatever it is stuff or seriously whatever just just take them out there expose them to it and and sort of just show them what you've got because it's a bit of a secret and uh you know hopefully that in the end of the day uh, you know grows our sport um it's so important to to support races you know those those weekly time trials um that that seem like something you just go yeah i'll go or i won't go or whatever you know there's, there's people behind that running that thing go support it because you you owe it to them and you know we've we've all you know as professional or semi-professional athletes we're supported by brands like you know just do your bits um, to help them. Um, this is all the sport we all the sport we love. 
Yeah, I definitely a really good point about the community stuff. Like I know I probably neglected it a little bit in the past personally, just because I haven't been say like in Perth enough. Like I mm. travel eight, nine months a year and I can't get to the, the local events or local time trials. And I was trying to make a really big effort before I went away this year to like go to like all the little local events I'd never go to. Like, oh, well, for me, it's like better for me just to go to a training session than it is for me to spend a day doing the event. But then you start to realize how important that community is and like actually just turning up makes a big difference. And um, yeah, that's something I've learned, I guess, as I've become a more of a mature athlete. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's just, yeah, you're definitely learning that um, as we go along. Yeah, and as, as much as we've been looked after in our past, you know, like we will take on a few of the, in South Africa, the lighties, but the sort of kiddos and that, and just motivate them. And, and uh, yeah, and if you're, if you're an aspiring paddler, um, you know, there's, there's absolutely no secrets to success. And I, and I was fortunate to be exposed to this at a really young age. And that is, it's hard, hard work and everybody fails. And if you don't fail, you're not trying hard enough. You're not, you're not putting yourself in enough pressure. You know, you're not, you're not, you need to fail. You need to use that as, as, as ammunition. Um, and when you win every time, yeah, it's, 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 I guess it's fun. But but you actually learn you learn the most when you, when you're failing, um, and that's somewhat cliche, but but it is. And there's no short road to 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 achieving, and you might not ever achieve. So then change your perspective of what achievement is. Yeah, I totally agree. Like I know that I I've basically become somewhat good at what I do is because I spent so many years just working hard at it, and just I was never like the most outstanding guy. Like I always like was thereabouts, but. Um, eventually all those years of hard work definitely come to fruition once um, when once your moment comes and, and everyone gets their moment as long as you've spent the, the years of that hard work and, and dedication and being persistent towards your goal yeah and um, you know I, I sort of learned it when I was losing the weight um, at a young age I sort of wrote down that number you know, 123 kilograms and I and I you know there was no fooling myself I knew exactly where I was you've got to be honest with yourself um, you know, where are you? What can you do? Um, you know, I lost that weight over a period of a year. Um, you know, every time I lost the weight, I updated that number, you know, 120, yeah. 118. And all of a sudden I'm, you know, down to 92. And now all of a sudden I'm struggling between, you know, 89 and, nine, and 95. Like that's my like flex, but, but I'm, I'm everything. I'm, I, I make myself responsible for everything. And um, if you're wanting to achieve something, you know, you've said it so many times, just make, but you don't have to make it public, but, but make sure you know what you want. Don't, yeah, don't write it down yourself. make it a, make, and make yourself accountable. You've got to be able to like tell your friends, tell your family, or if the more people that you tell the the more accountable you're going to be towards your goal, because you're going to be able to, to get it out there. And I was talking to Courtney Hancock the other day and she was like, when I tell people, I feel like I'm empowered. I feel like I'm, I don't know, it just gives me this little bit of an extra edge when I get my goals out there. And before she won her first Ironman series, she said that. She went out and said, I want to win the Ironman series. And she went out and won it that year. Yeah. And it's just, it's just something a little bit extra when you start to get your goals out there. But yeah, even if you're just writing them down and giving them to your coach. So, because sometimes, especially yeah. when you're working with different coaches, like if your goal is to get sixth at Aussies or sixth at, um, I don't know, a surf ski race around the world, like, they'll train you to get six like that's your goal but if you if you want to win they'll be they'll be hard on you and you probably won't like it and I had a lot of those yeah. experiences as a kid like I'd say I want to win stuff and then my coaches would be so hard on me and I'd be like why are you being so hard on me I just said I wanted to win yeah. they're like well this is what it takes and you're like and I probably didn't learn that until later in life but it was um definitely there's always learning experiences you have along the way with different coaches and different people that make you who you are 
Yeah, and consistency. Um, you know, we can all, well, I can't actually think back to like really good sessions or really bad sessions, but I know that I was there every day. Yeah. Um, every single morning, twice a day, you know, I knew I was constantly sore and a you know, degree of pain because I was, you know, training, but consistency. Yeah. And, and that is the trick. Uh, you just can't take a break. Um, you know, I, I've had, you know, a few days myself, like now, you know, I still be, deal with it. I go like, man, I've really had a big day of work or I'm traveling, I'm tired, I'm jet lagged, I don't want to train. Just go out, just paddle a kilometer, even a kilometer yeah. or two kilometers, more than what you would have done if you'd sat on your, on your ass. And, and then also um, one thing I really, I've sort of come to realize now with perspective is that people want to help. So, you know, you, it might feel like a deeply personal journey or whatever you're doing. Um, and it's like me versus the world or whatever. And it's kind of defensive. I, I'm definitely guilty of being very defensive, but people want to help you. And, and, and you've got to leverage that, you know, open your ears, like listen to what people have to say, even if you don't agree with them, just get perspective. Um, and when people do help you, be grateful. Don't, mm. don't. You know, you don't, have, you know, some people write messages to people to thank them or whatever, but, but gratitude can be shown in many different ways. And, and often that's just uh, sort of being, uh, being the person you are. And, and, uh, you know, I've, I've had sponsors for my whole career, like they have looked after me so incredibly well. And I've, and I've tried in every way to give back to them just by being a person that's, you know, that represents their brand. You know, I don't have, 10,000 followers on Instagram. I don't have a million fans and whatever, but, but I, I believe that I represent them really well. And, and, um, you know, represent your, your country and your clubs and just be a good person. Yeah. And I think that's a really important point, mate, being obviously loyal to your sponsors and, and just sort of supporting the people that support you is something that you've got to really give back in. Like there's always these um, different opportunities that present themselves to you, but you've got to make sure they're the right ones for you. And, and when you're working with like the right people that are sort of, they come, they become part of your team and you're working towards common goals that used to be just your goals. It's, it's a pretty cool experience. That is something I did want to bring up. What is it about the South African versus Australian rivalry in surf ski? Like, I know it's a, it's a big deal for a lot of people. Um, and obviously, they're the two big nations in the sport. Obviously, there's more people from Europe coming in and you've got um, Austin from America and a few other different nations. But it's always, this, there's, this, there's this unwritten, I guess, rivalry between the two nations. Can you tell me what it means to be a South African when you're out there? <laughs> well, rivalries are, are, are deep within South Africa too. but um, the South Africa versus Australia rivalry is massive uh, across all sports. I'm not exactly what, 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 I don't know exactly what makes it, but it's probably that we're quite similar in, in, in uh, cultures. Um, yeah. Not a, like abrasive or aggressive is not the right thing, but we're like strong personalities. Um, you know, we, we don't, there's no guessing what we want. We say it. Um, and, and I, I think, you know, in, in some sports it gets a little bit, poisonous in a way um yeah. whereas in surf ski and definitely my experiences is it's been this rivalry but it's actually it's bred like really really amazing friendships because it's a sense of respect more than than rivalry and yeah. and i i respect you so much that i just want to like kick your ass <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and and you know like yourself and Corey and and I, you know maccas and Sand, like I've got so many amazing. I would actually say majority of my best mates are, are Australian, um, 
and yeah and and in south africa the rivalry is is incredibly strong too i mean to the point where you know there would be fist fights on the water and like it was really like the, the training environment I, I came from was like really intense the rivalries were like unproportional to what we were actually doing like we're just a bunch yeah. of kayakers but like the rivalry is intense and I've, I've kind of i've taken that now that i'm training by myself i've tried to like keep that intensity and that rivalry like this is again going to make me sound a little bit psycho but it's, it's the way it is so i train by myself every day but i've got to like find these triggers that get me into like this dark place to like really yeah. hurt myself but i'll like paddle along and i'll just imagine like uh you know like actually not my brother but i'll imagine someone like Stu mclaren or something like on my wave and then he's not there but i'll imagine it and then i'll like i'm coming to the last minute of the formula and i imagine him coming up past me and i you know you I, I beat it. him you know like i beat him at the end or something yeah. Yeah, I just I these rivalries are they're so strong, um, and I yeah, it's it's built on respect because I know how hard I have to train, and when I get beaten by that person, even in a training session, I'm like shit. That person must have trained really hard because I've trained hard. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah, the rivalries are something that pushes you forward. I know. Um, I guess Corey and I had like a rivalry to, to reference Sersky for a long time, and that sort of pushed me to to get better and pushed him to get better. And I think those those things are just invaluable um, when you're trying to to achieve goals because you're constantly having that internal battle but it also sets you up to be able to do the sessions by yourself because you know what it takes and um, I think you're, you're a guy who knows what it takes you've got an amazing story like obviously being um, coming from like obviously a, a background where you haven't really done a lot of sport and then you've, you've become a world champion you've won Molokai you've won all the big surf ski races and when you're probably 16, 17 years old, you probably didn't think you'd have any of those opportunities. So it just sort of, it sort of shows that that determination can sort of bring the best out of anybody. And you've done, you've had an incredible career and it's still going. You've got, I don't know, another 10, 20 years, depending if you're Oscar or not. But, <laughs> um, not 20, I don't think 20. I'll be drinking too many beers then. Yeah, but mate, I really appreciate your time today. It's been fantastic to have a chat and um, I'm sure we'll talk together very, very soon. Yeah, thanks Boothy. It's been a pleasure. Yeah, cheers. And just to everybody out there who has been watching the Boothcast and listening along on podcast, thank you so much for following along. If there's anybody you'd like me to speak to, please let me know via text or comment or various um, ways you can uh, message me. If you would like to check out this video or any of the other ones, please check out my booth on Facebook. There's a section there called Boothcast. And if you'd like to listen, um, iTunes, Spotify, um, it's all under Boothcast. So yeah, really appreciate it and really appreciate your time again, Sean. Yeah, cheers. Have a good day. You too.